Softly, softly, catchy monkey. All this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. The rise of the retro destination. Big monkey boxness. My Atari. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up to date news for out of date tech. Hello chaps, I'm back and I'm pleased to announce that I am indeed still married. Right, <laughs> I listened well done. to your show. <laughs> I listened to your show last week in which I was absent on the drive back from the airport and it had both me and Lily chuckling away. So uh, good show and it was nice to hear Mark Fix's stuff on the show. So that was that was great. Um yeah. yes, I am I am indeed still married. Had a lovely time in Ireland because I went to Amiga Ireland and not Amiga Island as uh, Lily thought it was right up until the last minute. <laughs> but it's, it's, not, it's not as if that's that's so far wrong, though. I mean, it's it's a good name for it. You could call it Amiga Island. You could, you could. I wonder where you'd place it on the map. Where would you put Amiga Island? Hmm, maybe that could be our Ireland. question of the week. <laughs> Ireland, put it in Ireland. <laughs> put it in Ireland, just to confuse everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a great Craggy time. Craggy Island. I've got to say, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got to say that um, it was an incredibly well-organized event, Amiga Island, and definitely going to go back next year. I didn't want to take the cameras this year. I didn't want the pressure of working, so next year I might just go over for the weekend and, and do a bit of filming or um, and report back on that because I think it's a really well-organized event. And the highlight for me was listening to a talk and getting to meet a guy called Ron Nicholson. He was one of the original Amiga what would be the Amiga 1000 or the Amiga um, designers, one of the hardware designers. His signature is one of those on the case. He worked Mm. with Jay Miner. Real OG. With Dave Haney. He worked with all those guys. He was there before Commodore bought Amiga. In fact, when Commodore bought Amiga, he didn't stick around. So he was very much the original, part of the original crew. Um, really fascinating guy. He was able to go into as much or as little technical detail as you wanted. He was just sort of feeling us out as an audience to see how technically he should get. But we got some really interesting technical insights, particularly on the creation of the Blitter. He was heavily involved in that. And he was making comparisons between the Blitter as he designed it and somebody asked him the question. I think it was actually Trevor Dickinson who asked him the question. um, If you could go back and change something, what would it be? And the talk is on YouTube, so you can go back and hear it. So I won't, I won't dish out too many spoilers. But he did give a really fascinating answer, which compared the, his creation of the Blitter with Monday FPGA chips, and there is a connection there. So um, well worth going to watch that talk. I will uh, ask Duncan to put a link in the show notes so you can go and check it out, mm-hmm. and all the other talks that happened there. Mm-hmm. Got to meet Banjo Gaioli for the first time. Got to meet Stephen from Terrible Fire. Um, got to meet some of our listeners, including... Um, Paul, that's Pajaco sixty five hundred two, isn't it? That's Paul. I believe so. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think. He's yeah, nice got guys. to meet him. Mm. I mean, he's been to the cave before, but it was lovely to see him there. Uh, Chris Folds, who's an Amigos regular, Ravi Abbott. Chris Folds. Um, Chris Folds, Glenn from Casual Retro Gamer. He had a lovely display of Amigas there. Namcos, who's a streamer. Um, and shout out to Gordon, who knocked me out of the stunt car racer tournament. Oh. I only got through to the well second done, round. I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all in all, lovely week, lovely time off. And um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention at the start of the show is it has been, is it to the day, Dave? It's been one year since Chris became a presenter on the show. So uh, oh, wow. applause for Chris. 
Is yeah. that right? Slightly younger than oh. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well Thank done. you. Well done. Cool. Didn't intend to stick around this long. It's crazy. The filler yeah. that never went away. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's what a lot of people call me. Yeah. <laughs> How's your week been, Chris? How's your yeah. year been, in fact? <laughs> yeah, the year. Well, the end of the year. The, the bit in between years, uh, let's call it that. Um, I don't know how, but my Atari 2600 Junior has become my new obsession. <laughs> It's so with all the machines in my room, and especially over the break, you know, I, I had limited access. So I did touch on this a little bit last week, but um, mm. it's just the machine that I go to, and it's the only machine. I mean, it's sitting on uh, on the desk right next to me here, um, just for display purposes. But actually, it's the machine that is plugged into the only CRT in my entire house because that's where it belongs. With a bit of a dodgy image, bit of a dodgy signal, I'm just loving it. For those of you who can see the video of this podcast, it kind of looks like Chris has thrown his Amiga 500 in the bin behind him. <laughs> well, it's worse than that because usually it's the 1200 that sits here. <laughs> I like the, the junior better. I think the junior looks the better. Yeah. That's a hell of a die-on. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. But um, so as part of that, what I did um, uh, just last weekend was – I took the birthday and Christmas money that my mummy gave me um, and I took it to one of the local computer shops beyond retro in commentary markets in Morley and I spent the whole lot on, and a little bit more added, on Atari 2600 <laughs> cartridges. And I just love, I mean, obviously, because they were so mass-produced, you know, to the point that some were buried in landfill, we all know the story, um, but they're just so easy to come by and they're so cheap to um, to collect. So, yeah. It's great. This is something I love to do. If I get a little bit of money for my birthday or for Christmas, I love to take it to the retro game shops. And I and I yeah. still get that those butterflies, that twang of excitement <laughs> when it. I go into the shop. Do you get that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't do it often, but when I was given this money by by my mum, there's part of the UK visit I went to. She sort of shoved it all in my hand. I won't bore you with the technical details, but um, basically, I knew that come birthday and Christmas, I was going to withdraw that money out of my bank account again as cash had to be cash in the hand just like your pocket money your birthday money your christmas money back in the day and then decide what i'm going to spend it on and then of course blow the budget and add a little bit more to it but yeah it's great great experience yep dave dave um we we talked recently about um dwarf fortress offline and then i was pleased to hear you mention it on the show last week because (laughs) you warned me away from it i said dave should i play this it sounds like my kind of game and you're like no you will lose your life to it neil don't touch dwarf fortress and then i hear the show last week and you've gone in with both feet (laughs) i am hideously addicted to dwarf fortress I, i i am hideously addicted time Time just disappears. You think I'm I'm gonna get the farming situation sorted out, or I'm gonna clean out these tunnels here and get all the ore there, and it's hours disappear. So I'm hideously addicted to it. I'm thoroughly enjoying it, but I'll get to a point in where I I I will I will sate myself on it until I, I until I can't stand it, and then let's skip it for two for two or three years. Um, it's a bit been a busy week at work, so that's all I've been doing. But as of tomorrow, I have a week done week off. So will I get all the things I want? To get done in that week, probably not. I'll probably still be playing Dwarf Fortress. But I did buy something recently, and it's arrived. And uh, I want to show it to people to prove I don't hate the Commodore Amiga. It is a set of Amiga keycaps, because I am going to, when I get time, build an Amiga 500++ in a Checkmate 1500 case, a black one, to match up with um, a nice 17-inch 
new old stock gateway monitor that I got a CRT. Oh, yes. And I'm yes. going to have the black keyboard. So that's the black keycaps, the black official Amiga keycap. I think they're official. So the keycaps, Amiga, the keycaps you got, they're black, obviously. Was that a Kickstarter or could you just buy them off the shelf? You could just buy them off the shelf from a1200.net. Nice. Um, Chris does, told does me it about in, it. Does it include the all-important help key? I don't know. <laughs> well, while you're checking, well, I just I, wanted I to. I know why you're checking. I just wanted to hold something up just to prove because I did a recent review on a USB keyboard that is just a USB keyboard with the with the Amiga name on it, but it's an official product. And um, well, you can see my video on the channel to review it. But in the in the review, I tell people that it has become my daily driver, and here it is, just as evidence. I do use this. This is from Simulant. This is a, a USB nice. Amiga keyboard, so it's very heavy as well. Have you used it whilst playing with Amiga emulation? How does that feel? Does I have in WinUAE works, yeah. works well, and it works with the A500 Mini as well. So it's yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been I enjoying the comments. I, yes, it's one of those Marmite videos because if you look at the comments in the video, there's a lot of people saying 140 pound. That's ridiculous. It's not even a real Amiga keyboard. And then there are others who just see it for what it claims to be a modern yeah. USB keyboard. And you do pay a lot for a for a high quality mechanical keyboard. Granted, you are paying a little bit for the Amiga name, but um, I don't think it's too bad. Anyway, let's not go too fair. far down that road. <laughs> we could talk about that all day. <laughs> um, so, Neil, did you get any swag when you were in Amiga Island? Did you take anything home with you? I did. I mean, it, it was Ryanair, so I was constantly nervous. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> let's not talk about the hire car that I managed to damage and get a huge <gasps> bill for. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Um, but I did manage to get this... Uh, just an, an Amiga 600 dust cover from Amiga Kit. They had a little stand there, so I picked that up to put in the cave. Very nice it is, Very too. Nice. Now, we've had some nice uh, jingles in recent months um, for Dave's housekeeping. Uh, we've got another one, which I think this one's from Banjo Gaioli, isn't it? It so, is. Dave, let's go into the housekeeping. Into the wonderful. Into the wonderful. There we are. <laughs> I am about to start booking some guests in. Uh, the goal is to expand our horizons with some guests from far afield, from other places, to try and complement our knowledge. Um, so look out for those coming up soon. Um, and it's time to do a little reminder of how this podcast works. We are a podcast, but we're also a YouTube show. We pick a story each from a subreddit to discuss amongst us we do a little bit of preparation, but it's not fully scripted. You, the listener, can submit these articles and you can go and you can upvote and downvote on what you want us to talk about. We do take it as a suggestion rather than a, rather than a command. Excuse me, Johnny, would you mind not doing that, please? Um, <laughs> but typically we're looking for stories that allow us to start a conversation. And Reddit's where we also collect the answers for our question of the week. Reddit is, of course, optional, though most of our listeners don't use the subreddit. That's fine. As long as a few people do and we get enough contributions for us to uh, put together a show, then that works for everyone. Watching us is also optional. I'm sure you get much more from it if you if you see. Okay, okay. This is a scripted bit. This is largely not a scripted show, but Dave's put this bit in and he said, if you see my handsome face, I think that's fully uh, subjective. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure most people are like me. Um, I've got a lot of time to listen to podcasts, but less time to listen and watch. Yep. 
So all we need from you is your ears. The rest is all optional, including our Patreon. If you want to help cover our costs for the platform, equipment, etc., then you know we'd love if it, it we'd love it if you would become a Patreon at uh, www.patreon.com forward slash this week in retro. All that moisturizing cream we know we, we use isn't going to pay for itself. <laughs> I need brushes. more of the powder. I need more of the powder. <laughs> Into our first story then, and this one actually was um, submitted to the subreddit and I was really pleased to see it submitted because I was handed a business card. That's old school, isn't it? I was handed a business card while I was at Amiga Island for this very thing because it was kind of launched there. It's undeniable that we've seen the rise of retro as a destination, as a visitor attraction um, in, in recent years. We often talk about new arcade bars popping up, museums, retro gaming shops, um, expos, for example, Amiga Island, which I went to at the weekend. We often talk about these things on the show, and um, of course, I'm in the position where I'm 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 trying to run, create my own museum, and, and work out how that all works. Um, in the same way, all of these other destinations are, which want to celebrate the thing that we love so much. There are the big museums who are established and well known, the likes of Cambridge and Bletchley Park in the UK. Um, and then there are those who have the luxury of a YouTube or a social media presence. And I consider myself to be um, very luckily and unfortunately uh, in that category. So I can put the word out for the cave and for the arcade archive which is exactly what I've just done there. <laughs> um, but then there are those hidden gems, those retro destinations which are built with just as much passion as any other uh, that haven't appeared on your radar. And if you knew about them, you'd probably jump at the chance to go and visit them. So the big question prompted by the story submitted to the subreddit this week is how, how do you go about finding them? How do we find these hidden gems? Well, the link that was submitted to this show um, is all about a, a website called Retro.Directory, and it was created by Rob Smith, who um, I met at Amiga Island. He launched it on the Friday. Brand new website. It's really nicely laid out. So it's 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 like going to Google Maps. You've got a map that you can scroll around and explore and lay it onto that are all things retro-related. Museums, arcades, bars, events, cafes, clubs, even magazines and podcasts and points of interest are on there. It covers the whole world. So like I said, it's like Google Maps. You can zoom in, you can fly around. Um, you can filter as well, which is really useful. So you, if you just want to see arcades and museums, you can do that. Um, or you can go into a directory section and just use it like a, a yellow pages. Um, it is a brand new website. I think there might be scope to expand on some of those things. For example, I'd love to see vinyl record shops or something like that mm. on there. Maybe you guys can think of other things. Oh, yeah, see it's a there. good idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, it's new and it's it's pretty feature complete for such a new website. So it's mm. clear and concise. Um, and um, the thing is, it is now relying on people to add entries into it to make it as useful as possible. So if you want to see your favorite places represented, then then you need to go in there and add them. And don't worry if you're not the owner, the business owner of the things you're adding. They can come along later. They can press a button to claim that listing as their own, and then they can take control of it. So it's just about spreading the word, really. Now, um, I, I well, you guys know I love anything that helps the community to run in a, a more collaborative way and to celebrate and share what we do. So... I personally think this is a really great resource, but interested to hear what you guys think. Dave, what do you make of it? Any thoughts on this, but also just the general state of the retro visitor destination boom in general? So I think this is a great idea, and I think the boom that we're seeing in it makes this necessary 
trying to find your way around where physical locations are can be a forest. And I'm glad Robert Smith has created the cure. So this is my love song to Retro.Directory. Oh, I'm imagining how people will use this on their weekend in between days when they are working. The end of the week comes. Friday, I'm in love with Retro. So where do we go on a Saturday without being lost? The you cave is out, great. Got out your system, Dave. You got it out? Yes. The cave is great. And I'm, I'm excited to go to the archive when I get a chance to go. But it's a huge undertaking for me. Um, I, I don't actually know what's local to me so this will be great for that because spending a day traveling down to the cave and a day traveling back up plus a hotel plus all the petrol all the rest of it it's a big undertaking whereas if there's somewhere maybe two hours away an hour away then it's it's a breeze to go there in a day yeah, you might also want to chain together destinations so if you're coming all the way down to one that's far away yes, you idea. know you could see what's what else is on your route yeah Good idea. But I think there's more to it. And I'm already noticing user groups on there. And people shouldn't be afraid of Amiga user groups. From what I've been told by people, they're not exclusive to Amigas. And while you might get a bit of playful banter, all micros are welcome. I know, Chris, you've, you've said that. And so has Pillock and Ravi said that as well. And then there's repairs too. I should point out that uh, I know you've specified Amiga user groups, but this is not this is not an Amiga thing. Um, no, it's not. I think you're probably highlighting that because Amiga user groups seem to be the most popular. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because when I had a look at it, I found Amiga user groups on it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's repairs and there's places to buy stuff. Lots of people listening might want to get their old ST fixed up, but posting it is risky and expensive. Um, or maybe you want to go to a retro shop and just see what's there. So I hope this is a success. I, I really do. I hope people use it. And if you have anything that can go in this, then go ahead and do it and get pictures of you on this directory. I also like that it's free and it's not trying to sell you anything or get something from you. It's just there for the benefit of everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I'm already aware of who made this, Robert Smith who's known as Rob Smith to everybody apart from me, and I'm calling him Robert Smith so that I can sneak in song titles from The Cure, <laughs> uh, which hopefully everyone has noticed by now. And I'm sure Rob won't mind because boys don't cry. Um, I first heard of Rob... <laughs> I can't... I can't. Sorry, couldn't, do, couldn't not do it. <laughs> oh, um, the, the poor man's probably had this his whole life, Dave. His whole life. <laughs> Um, I first became aware of him when he made an adapter to allow a standard floppy drive to be used to read Amiga Disk. Neil, you're familiar with it. Uh, yeah, I think, is that project called Floppy Bridge or Drawbridge? I, I know he's doing more along those lines. It was Drawbridge, wasn't it? That's the name he, mm. he used. Yeah, yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a look, and RMC is already on there. Although when I looked, Arca Arcade Archive isn't. So that does need to go on if it's not gone on there in the past couple of days. So what happened was Rob, obviously, he had to create a, a, a basic website to start with. So he put a bunch on that he knew. He put on the cave. Uh -huh. He didn't put on Arcade Archive. So just this morning, I've claimed the cave. Um, and and to prove that you own it, you either need to own the domain that it links to, the website links to, or you mm -hmm. can put some code into your HTML in your website, and his site will detect that and go, okay, that's yours. You can you can claim it. Uh -huh. so, um, Very clever. And then I've added Arcade Archive, so that should appear soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know Alex was open over Christmas. How did it go for him? Did he manage to sell oh, the tickets? Oh, wow. 
Alex has done amazingly well. Um, he's had huge visitor numbers. I, I closed for one weekend because I was having a break for Christmas. And on the Friday and Saturday, he had 107, I think it was, 107 visitors. Um, he, ha- he was covered by BBC Points West, which is the local news, came with their cameras. and So that went out on the news. And then the national news picked up that story. So uh, one Saturday, it went out at least nine times on BBC National News. Wow. You know, because the news is just on a cycle. So they just re- mm. repeat the stories, don't they? So he was all over the national news. Um <sighs> And then uh, another another part of the BBC saw that and came with their cameras the following week. So he's just getting massive coverage. Just yesterday, I got my uh, Retro Gamer magazine, and he's in Collector's Corner showing oh, off wow. his, his arcade archive. <laughs> so he's getting really, really great coverage. And um, to kind of... it's not been without problems so as i always say on the uh, on the show you know we've created the cave we've created the archive archive we we don't run museums we don't know how this works so we've been feeling it out the whole time and trying to overcome problems and one thing that's come up we've noticed is since the arcade archive opened there people will book tickets for the cave turn up and go oh i thought i was going to the arcade so they've booked tickets for the wrong thing so clearly there's some poor descriptions and communication on our existing way of doing things so when this show goes out, there will be a brand new website, retrocollective.co.uk. That's the umbrella under which the mill will sit. Uh, and then it will clearly say, this is a, a destination. We have individual venues. You can book to, book to go to them. This is what's in them. You'll get discounts if you book to go to, say, the cave in the morning and the arcade in the afternoon. It will automatically apply discounts. We can do family tickets. We can do annual passes. Because it's not just a website, we've built a ticketing system from the ground up. So we've done a huge amount of work. Um, And then that also allows room because we want to occupy the other floors on the mill um, with with cafes or pinball or whatever we can. That allows room to expand and add additional venues. So, um, yeah, that's what's happening on our side. And I was talking to Rob and said, is there any way we could maybe kind of link our ticketing system to your directory? And he said, well, that's a good idea. What we could do is on the map show how many tickets are remaining for the next event at that upcoming weekend or something like that That's so we could kind of link That's link so our systems together so we might do that yeah and and if we find that works we might be able to offer our ticketing system to other museums to help them out you know so we, you know it, it's just like like-minded people coming together like you say dave not to just say i'm going to put adverts all over this website and try and charge people to use it and to charge people to put their listings in it's like no just create the community create the destination and let people come together and and see what comes of it yeah <laughs> anyway dave i i broke your flow there or had you finished with your, with your no i was just i was uh, just saying that points. i agree if, if it's if it's good for you it's good for everyone um you don't need to be parochial and stick adverts and what am i getting from this and be grasping um I, you've always been um forward-looking and, and and positive that way with with the community and uh i think this is this is a, a great thing in that same spirit i think so and obviously there are platform fees and hosting fees and things to cover so um you know quite how rob's handling that i did notice he's got a patron link there but it's, it's entirely optional it doesn't um you know there's no paywall or anything like that or, or cost of listing um Chris, have you taken a look at this? And I guess, are there any sites that you might want to add in your corner of the world to the map? 
Yeah, I have taken a look, and it actually looks very useful. Um, it jumps you straight into the map when you first go on the site, and as you've already discussed, you've got the filters and everything, and you can browse the different categories. So there's several ways of accessing the same information, which is great. And to my surprise, when I first opened it up, straight away there was a name I recognized, which is Nostalgia Box, which is a place in Perth that have retro consoles and stuff, and you can book it for parties or um, corporate days and, and that kind of thing. Um, so that was there straight away, but it was the only thing in Perth, and I know there's a lot more. So things I will get on straight away to to add. If you know, I'll make I'll probably make the owners aware, and then if nothing happens in the next few days, I'll add them myself. But you got Barcadia and Palace Arcade, which are both you know retro arcade slash bars, um, and Palace Arcade has got at least two, if not three, separate venues in Perth. And then you got the retro shops. I mean, they have to be there because it is so cool to know that they exist, uh, let alone know that there's one, net, you know, perhaps around the corner or in your own suburb. So you've got Beyond Retro, Retro Collect, 8-Bit Anarchy. Um, you've got retrokit.com.au, which is an online store, and I noticed this allows for, you know, both physical and also digital-only stores to be listed which is great. And while you go, well, okay, if it's an online store, why does it matter that it's in your part of the world? Well, because actually it's really handy to be able to get hold of stuff locally rather than having to order, you know, from for us most of the time, it's either from over east, if not Europe, if not America. And if we're really desperate, you know, England. Um, <laughs> so stuff like that. But as you, you both of you guys have kind of touched on this already, nostalgia is such a huge market. So is there potential for something like this to list even things like, you know, you said vinyl record shops, Neil, um, but what about laser tag? I mean, it, that's sort of both new and old and, and anything that sort of falls into that people of our age group or people coming up that are showing an interest in old technologies or old pastimes, can those kind of things be added in? That would be, that'd be quite interesting. I, I would have if I hadn't already looked at this and how good it's been how good the the code works and how you can filter etc. I wouldn't be as keen about adding laser tag and retro shops, retro record shops, and all the rest of it in. But because of how well the filtering works, I am. Yeah. I think this is a great idea. You can go in there and you don't need to worry about you're looking for I don't know somewhere that might be able to fix your Commodore sixty four that you could drive to and drop it off and pick it up again afterwards somewhere local and you'd be going there and you'd be swamped with all sorts of things no you can filter it out it works great so i'm really pleased with how that works and i hope like you said it expands to cover all sorts of retro related things board game places etc that'd be oh, a great yeah. thing to put on there yeah the filtering is really important because if this got really popular there is a there is a um a chance that every retro youtuber will chuck their channel on there uh, and then you'll just get a, a map of a sea of that red so happen. it's important yeah if, yeah, yeah, so it's important to keep that control. Um, laser tag is an interesting one because for an, from a nostalgia point of view, we're a slightly older demographic that used to play laser tag. And um, do you know how um, there's this thing called slow football where you're only allowed to walk while you play football? I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe maybe we need like slow laser tag to accommodate laser tag. <laughs> <laughs> maybe just a thought. We'll just throw that out there. If someone wants to open the first slow laser tag, so we don't all end up having heart attacks that would be <laughs> ideal so um if this sounds like it appeals to you do help to get the word out um share the link it's it's just retro.directory that's the website uh, do go there and flesh it out add your favorite destinations and hopefully we can turn this into a really nice geeky atlas to go to and a good resource for planning um, trips around our hobby. Um, yeah I think it's a great website I love that it exists for me it's just like heaven big monkey boxness. 
Now, we've not mentioned Return to Monkey Island since the game release, guys. And for anyone living under a rock, Monkey Island, and probably, I think, a bigger game, Monkey Island 2, were seminal point-and-click adventures from LucasArts. They brought Ron Gilbert's new ideas about adventure games to the market. He wrote an essay, which he called Why Adventure Games Suck, back in 1989 when he was making Monkey Island. He talked about dying, obtuse puzzles, and soft-locking, among many other things. It's well worth a read, and it shows what he did that, and we have mentioned this before, to draw a line between old games and new games. Quite often, the the things you've talked about, dying, obtuse puzzles, soft-locking, they're things that you kind of put into the Sierra camp, and it's something that sets LucasArts very much apart in their approach, isn't it? It wasn't just Sierra, though. It was in text adventures. It was in Delphine games. Was it Delphine that did Future Wars? I remember mm-hmm. watching you play in Future Wars. Remember, we got yeah, soft locked right. in that. Um, yeah, it was yeah, just right. the, the whole industry was doing that. Sierra was just the, the biggest one there. But he changed all that with Monkey Island. Now, Monkey Island wasn't too popular on release. It did okay. But when 2 came out, it did a lot better. And they were slow-burning classics that gained popularity over the years. And by now, surely anyone who's into retro games will have heard of Monkey Island if they've not already played it. What you may not know is that they're inspired by the same thing that Disney was inspired for with its Pirates of the Caribbean ride and then the films. It's a fantastic novel called On Stranger Tides by Tim Powers. You should read it. It's not too long. It's a great thrill ride of a book. It's wonderful. It did inspire us. When you... Thank you, Johnny. <laughs> what did Johnny um, knock over? I, I'm not sure. Um, a, a power connector, I think. Johnny. Uh, anyway, um, there were several Monkey Island games. I've actually got them all, and even a Telltale series um, more recently. But you must have heard that Ron Gilbert himself came back to do um, a Monkey Island uh, game set after one and two called return to monkey island if you're on on the video you can see me holding up the original monkey island boxes there one and two um so have you found time to play return to monkey island yet guys no because i have been waiting for this very news i've been holding off so that i can play it in the way that you're going to describe i think and me no because it's a point and click adventure <laughs> <laughs> It's a very good one. I might be tempted. Let's see how this goes. Yeah. yeah. I have played it actually a while back now, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. The uh, the art style took a little time to get used to, and we talked about that before. And the only way I think they could have done it better would be with 3D pixel art voxel things. But what they did was good, uh, and the nostalgia was great. It managed to repeatedly touch back to The Secret and Revenge so well while avoiding making this just a reboot or a remake. It was set after them. It did them justice. And I also think if you didn't, if you hadn't played those games, I don't think you would have played through it feeling like you're, you're missing something out. Um, but today's news is thanks to Dr. Local, and there will be a big box release of it. Neil, I know you wanted the big box. Are you going to buy it? Yes. <laughs> I saw that Dr. Local had posted this on the subreddit. And as soon as I saw that, I clicked through the link. I immediately signed up for the email newsletter from it's Lib- Limited Run Games, isn't it, that's distributing yeah. it. So um, hopefully I'll be notified the moment that that's available to order or to pre-order because you can't do it just yet. I've 
I've got all the other ones in the series. Um, presumably this breaks the chain because this is effectively Monkey Island 3 or how Ron Gilbert wanted Monkey Island 3 to be because it goes... So, so what what happened? Or is it like Monkey Island 2.5? How, how, how does this fit it's, into the later games? It, it hasn't quite drawn a, drawn a line through the later games. And there right. are some, some references to the later games, I think. But if you only play Monkey Island 1 and then Monkey Island 2 and then this you wouldn't know the other games existed. Good, good, yeah. Um, I guess the important question is, what's the price? Well. <laughs> well, is... says Dave. Has, have you actually got it, or are you, are you stalling while you click on the website to find it? It is $90. Um, oh, he's got it, shipped, $90. Shipped to the UK, it, including tax, it'll cost you, I think, $120. They don't quote that price. So I had to go all the way through the checkout as if I was going to buy a different game, including getting my credit card, authorising all the rest of it to find out what it would cost. I think $120, and that's a lot. So $90, and then you'll get your, your customs charge and your handling fee for your customs charge. They all do that all that for end. you. So it arrives arrive oh, through okay. your door for $120. Yeah, okay. So um if we go back to Monkey Island 1 in 1990, I think it was 29.99 or thereabouts on the Amiga, um which was, you know, <laughs> it's hard to put prices in the context of a world of Amiga piracy, isn't it? But 29.99, <laughs> yeah, it was free. <laughs> Every Amiga game was free. Of course, you seven blank discs, <laughs> you guys. But um, if we adjust that for inflation, that's around sixty-five pounds today. So it's well, we're looking at nearly double the price, aren't we? Um, for for this, um, to what it would have been. So that would have been a sixty-pound game back in the day. Um, the reasoning for higher prices these days is usually that things are made on smaller runs. But this has got to be a product that's in high demand. This has got to be a big. Pretty big run. It's not going to be as big as they were back in the day, but pretty big run. Um, and I guess it all comes down to as well as what you get in there. What do you get for your money? Well, I'll come on to that. Um, yeah. I, I think it is a big run. I think this will be a big run. Um, I, I think it's it, it's it's a big enough run that the costs probably aren't that massive compared to an even bigger run, if you know what I mean. It's a big enough run. The big box release looks to be in the same style of the old LucasArts games. So it would sit on the shelf with them and look like it belongs. As long as they've not done something daft, like made it a slightly different size, which you can't tell. I have no way of knowing just now, but it's got the um, it's got that nice kind of edge bit around it. And then the front of it is kind of the, the cover's kind of inset in the front. Duncan will put on images just so you can see it. So it does match the style and that's important. But I'm not, necessarily a big fan of limited run games um and i'll tell you why they've done a a, a version of one of my favorite games x-wing and in the box there is no manual there is no novella there is no reference card but you did get various trinkets that don't benefit the game a rebellion rank insignia enamel pin honestly an individually numbered certificate of authenticity the manual for X-Wing, and especially the novella, really helped the game. They didn't bother with any of that. I imagine. I mean, you think about how much went into those old manuals and a novella. You know, that's something that they would have constructed over the year or two-year development time yeah. of the game. 
And what limited run games are often doing is coming along and taking a game that already exists, like in the case of you know this game, which is out there on Steam, and going, okay, let's box it up and sell it. So um, it just requires more effort. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the information that if surely if they've if they've got the game licensed, then they surely they've got the manual licensed. I, I imagine it's mm. on the USB stick somewhere. But the novella for X Wing was really important. It even continued through to the the strategy guide. Continued the story of the novella. It's, it's great. Um, but on the other hand, I looked at what they were doing with an, another recent release, which is Loom. And the book of patterns is there, and there's an audio CD which is assumed is the same as what was on the original cassette tape the team that came in Loom. So maybe in the couple of years since X Wing, they've got their head around PC releases a bit better because they're not they're not most they're not really about retro games. They're more about Switch and PS4 and so on stuff. Um, but one of the key things with Monkey Island games though is that the game really does start when you launch it. So when the game starts, you get the cinematic intro. That's when the game starts. Not so much when you open the box, like loads of other PC games. So it's not too important what's in the box for me. Uh, in the box, though, is a CD of the music with the game, a booklet, a floppy disk-style USB stick, and a few other feelies. As I mentioned, the price is $90 or shipped to the UK, approximately $120. And maybe I'm being a bit cynical, but they waited to launch this and they didn't mention they were launching it as a, as a big box game until after people bought the game. So if you do order the collector's edition and they estimate eight to 10 months for the collector's edition after the window closes, then consider it almost a year to wait. Christmas 2023, you'll need to wait for this. And if you're a big enough fan to pay $120 for the game, then presumably you're not going to wait more than a year after launch to play it. So we're getting to nearly $150 for it. Um, they currently have another couple of games from LucasArts on. They have Loom for $75 and Salmon Max for $100, plus obviously shipping, etc. And the way it works, if I understand correctly, is they do not have a purchase limit. So it's not like there's a 1,000 copies of this get in quick on launch day and get these thousand copies. What they do is they have a limited window to buy it. So everyone can go in and buy what they want. And as long as you order in that window, um, then you get a copy of the game. Now, I like that way of doing it as opposed to saying there's only 500 copies, get in quick. Um, but it does, it's of course, hammer on my FOMO. Yeah, it's effectively the Kickstarter uh, approach, isn't yeah. it? Get all the orders in quickly. They see what the demand is, and then they can put the boxes out to print. Um, but by doing it under their own umbrella, they're not subject to Kickstarter fees and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chris, you're cheap to buy this. You're too cheap to buy this, aren't you? Yes. Um, <laughs> just, to add that, just to add to that, though, I like that they're doing it. I mean, that's great. Um, and... Yeah, if you're into this kind of game, then it is one of those things. Of course, you're going to jump on it, and and I've I've missed out on projects like you know when big when Elite Dangerous first came out and they did a big box release for Kickstart backers. Um, I didn't find out about Elite Dangerous until a couple of years after it was released, so it was way too late. But I've seen the box that you could get if you backed it on Kickstarter, and it was stunning, really nice. I can't remember exactly what was in it, but it was a really nice pack. But I think the difference is, like you've just touched on there, Dave. You know, that that was launching a game because you were backing the Kickstarter in the first place rather than the game's already out and downloadable and probably downloaded if you're a fan and now you're thinking about buying a box for a game that you've possibly already completed. So 
good luck to them. But at the end of the day, lots of us spend money on things on a shelf. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah, and I, 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 I can't sit here and tell you that you should or shouldn't buy it. I can't sit here and say it's a good deal or a bad deal. It's entirely subjective. Buy it if you want to buy it. If you don't want to buy it, then don't buy it. Um, and I, I don't actually <laughs> like gatekeeping that way. I don't like mm. people saying this is too expensive. Well, it's too expensive for you, but that doesn't mean it's a bad product for someone else. Yeah. But, but it's not the first big box I've seen for this game, but it is the official one. A small YouTube channel, Retro365, made their own box, and it matches the original LucasArts box styles. So you wouldn't know... If, if, if you had both of these boxes, you couldn't tell which was the official one, if you know what I mean. Um, I put images in the show notes so you guys can see the top one is the official one, the blue one, um, and the bottom one with... Um, the ghost pirate LeChuck on it is the unofficial one. They both look pretty good. Um, will I buy the official one, given that I've completed the game? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I haven't decided. I feel like since I have all of the other Monkey Island games, I should complete the set. But I do feel the price, for me at least, is a bit of a liberty. So maybe I should indulge in some piracy. Um, now, <laughs> whatever type of pirate... Whatever type of pirate you'd like to be, it goes on pre-order Friday the 20th of January. So by the time you're listening to this, you'll already be able to go and put your pre-order in for it. Um, as, I, as far as I understand, it won't sell out because they take unlimited orders in the window. So there'll be the chance for you to buy this, Neil, if you want to. Have you made a decision? Yeah, my wallet is quivering next to me. Um, let's just hope that car, higher car damage cost isn't too high and I've still got the, the change to buy myself a copy. I mean, it's a huge amount of money. I have the same concerns with you about them getting the, the feelies and the, and the manual and everything right because I, I lean much more towards the the manuals and the novellas than I do towards the, the bobbleheads and the pin badges and things. So, yeah, and, and I think most old school IBM PC gamers would, would lean in exactly the same way as I do for that. It's so nice. I mean, the, the, we, they get that. We used to get a coin and a moonstone in Ultima boxes, and that was cool to get that. But there was also the manuals. There was the spell book and all the rest of it. And, the map, and they yeah. did, yeah, they helped you. You had that out while you were playing. It helped you. It helped you get through things. With Infocom games, there was almost essential clues in the feelies you would have to use them to try and help you get your, your foot in the door in the games. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I think you have to look at this box and say, will this box, when I come to play Return to Monkey Island, if you haven't played it, or when you come to play it a second time, will it make the game more enjoyable? Will, will you get a better game as a result of it? And that's the decision you have to make as it's worth the money. With Atari seemingly dropping production completely of the still fairly new AMD-based VCS, what will be next hardware-wise from Atari? Well, what was rumour prior to ECS is apparently now official in that Atari and MyArcade are releasing three new products, and they are uh, the MyArcade Atari GameStation Plus, MyArcade Atari Pocket Player, and MyArcade Atari Micro Player. Um, so Pajeko6502, um, and also my own feeds were bombarding me with this as well, brought this to our attention. So what do we know? Um, actually, very little apart from what they look like. Uh, and you can see that on the story that uh, Pajeko shared with us, uh, which is from Retro Dodo. Um, it's a good 
page name actually for an Atari story, Dodo. But anyway, um, there doesn't seem to be anything on Atari's website that I could find. There's nothing on the My Arcade's website that I could find. I have reached out to My Arcade for more details via their um, press email address, uh, but I've not had a reply at the time of recording. So what I found is Atari's Facebook feed is actually where the party's at in terms of information, unless you happen to be at ECS, of course. So Chris investigates. I, for once, I actually did because for some reason I've got this bizarre Atari obsession. I'll get better soon enough. It's because I've quit, well, not quit drinking, but quit drinking as much as I used to. So now this has filled the void, it would seem. But you anyway. Need to be drunk to enjoy, to enjoy Amiga. I, oh, I walked oh. into that one. That's oh, not good. Let's, let's move on. Actually, I don't like this story. I'm not covering Atari anymore. <laughs> Atari, no. Okay. I so said let, nice let's... things about Amiga. You need to say nice things about Atari. That's the rule. You're probably spending more money on Amiga stuff than I am, Dave. It's, <laughs> it's not right. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to this one. So uh, let's have a quick look at the system. So the, the Micro Arcade uh, basically has 50th anniversary branding on the side. So that's one of those you know tiny little arcade games that are playable. That tiny allegedly... or small? Oh, oh micro, tiny. micro, yeah, micro, right? Yeah, yeah, um, and so that allegedly has a hundred games. If you look at the myarcadegaming.com website, that there are mm-hmm. um, similar uh, licensed um, little mini arcades, and yeah. they show uh, images of them going into a backpack. You know, picking it up with one hand, putting it in your backpack. So, just yeah, small, oh. large enough to play, but. Yeah, not small. bar top arcade. So smaller than like your gauntlet thing you did, Neil. Oh, much smaller, much smaller, yeah. Yeah, got you. Okay. Tiny little, you know, the sort of collectible trinkets you find in some of the shops around the place, but this is a better version of those kind of things. Yeah, 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 the shelf pieces. Although part of me has an idea of putting a shelf full of them. <laughs> Don't get me started. But anyway, so allegedly this, well, according to Atari's Facebook feed, it will have 100 games. Um, so that's it. They basically say, uh, well, I've already covered that. The next one, the handheld, um, is, is basically like a, you know, uh, about the size of, if, if I just look at the image here, it's sort of about the size of, would you say like a Game Boy on its side, a little bit smaller than that, you know, the, the, um, the handhelds that they've done and my arcade have already done some of these handhelds. So they're, they're clearly just doing an Atari, Atari branded version of a product they've already released before. Um, you've got the D pad on the left, your B and a buttons, um, and the home and start on the right. Got a headphone jack from the look of it and USB C what it is, what it looks like on the underside, um, or sorry, on, on, along the, the front edge. Um, branding wise, you've got clean white, uh, with Atari 50 on the left-hand side of the face and a retro rainbow of Browns, as I would put it on the right, those lovely Atari Browns. And, uh, again, it's a hundred games. So I think what we're looking at here is essentially the same guts inside these two different systems, but one's in a micro arcade form factor. The other one's in a nice handheld, um, and yeah, it, it isn't my arcade's first rodeo on both of these, so they're just sort of rinsing and repeating. But this one's Atari branded. The one that looks that little bit different, and I would say for me probably the most exciting, is the my arcade Atari Game Station Plus. So this, from the looks of what we've seen, is is two wireless classic looking joysticks. You know, Atari style joysticks. When I say wireless, no wires are shown, so that's an assumption. Um, you got the square bases with the sort of more more modern rounded edges to them than the old uh, original Atari joysticks. Got a fire button on the left, as is always the case. Um, uh, you know the old school Atari style fire button. 
And the joysticks themselves, they're the base bats, a baseball bat style joysticks with a fire button on top and also a trigger button on the front. And you've got that nice rainbow colored ring around the base of each stick. And I wonder, and this is just me sort of postulating, do these sticks actually rotate like the ones they did for the VCS so that you can use them for paddle games? Not sure, would be a nice feature if they do. Um, and then you've got some extra buttons. You've got to select home and there's another button visible there as well. The console itself, it, it, it looks small is the way I would put it first and foremost, um, which in turn make the power and home buttons that sit on top of it look like two massive great pills. So I'd like to see this thing in the in the flesh to actually sort of get my head around the scales uh, here because either this thing's really small or those are just really big buttons and I can't quite get my head around it in the images that I've seen. Um, but that's not a huge complaint. It's it's matte back matte black plastic with sort of some grills on the on the left and the right hand sides and a brushed aluminium panel on the right with the red Atari logo in pride of place and that actually looks gorgeous. They've clearly taken the design cues from the later Atari consoles, the twenty six hundred Junior, like the one sitting next to me here, the seventy eight hundred, and the obscure one in between that Reese keeps going on about. Um, is it the fifty eight hundred? Something um, like the that. 2700? Yeah, the I Japanese sure. exclusive one, yeah. yeah. No, there was yeah, another I, one as well. Yeah. There was another one with a five at the beginning. 5200? Uh, anyway, Reese will let us know. Well, those are 5200, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 5200. And so that has got uh, two, what looks like two USB-C ports in the front. Um, it's a nice, clean, simple look. Very flat, very sort of uniform. There's no real shape. It's just a, a rectangle, basically, apart from those... Two big pills. Um, and so Atari, what do they say about it? They basically say on their Facebook feed, with legendary it's games... Great. They say it's great. They say it's great. <laughs> yeah, they, they recommend it. They think you should buy it. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's funny, that. But no, they, they basically said, with legendary games from the Atari 2600 and 7800, uh, and, Atar uh, and sorry, Atari Arcade. You can play all your favourites. There are some decent arcade. 7800 games. It was They were kind of a little bit overshadowed, but they've aged well, yeah. if you know what I mean. They, yeah. It, it, at the time, they were a kind of a little bit. They weren't really in the in the flavor of the month when they came out, but they've aged well. Well, what I like about Atari seventy eight hundred games, and I don't have a seventy eight hundred, but I would love to get one because it plays twenty six hundred carts. If I had one, I would get rid of the junior because I wouldn't see the need to have both. And some of the seventy eight hundred games, the one that always springs to mind is Pole Position Two. The graphics on that and the sounds are very close to how I remember Pole Position being in the arcade. It's a much closer arcade experience than the 2600. Uh, it's a great console. So to see those games coming across into this plug-and-play, small form factor, um, you know, retro piece of, of plastic for, for your shelf, I think that's <laughs> that's an exciting thing. I haven't sold it very well, have I? No, well, no never no, become a salesman, Chris. Seriously, <laughs> I, I'm quite excited about that prospect because we haven't seen that until the recent 50th anniversary collections that, that emerged yeah. not long ago. So, Neil, are you tempted by any of these? Well, I'm certainly getting a, a sense of deja vu and, and not, not in a nostalgic way because these all look like very familiar products with a, a splash of rebranding to make them Atari 50th products. Um, I did have a look at the game, uh, sorry, my arcade website. And as you say, there are existing micro arcades which are licensed. Um, they've got like a Street Fighter 2 one there. Um, there are existing handhelds like they've got Bubble Bubble as a handheld. 
And I've got one called the Game Station Wireless, which is um, a $49.99 US dollars console with two wireless controllers. Um, it runs 300 odd games from Data East and uh, things, games like Heavy Barrel, Karate Champs, Bad, Bad Dudes. And then they've also got other similar console style things. So even the Atari VCS console with the two joysticks, I think is just a repackaged version of this Game Station Wireless. Um, that's not to say it's a bad thing. That obviously means it's tried and tested, and it's not going to take a lot of grunt to uh, to power the Atari, you know, VCS range of games. So, um, yeah, a sense of deja vu. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing if these things appeal to you, as they obviously do to Chris. But it's not really bringing anything to the table that excites me. Um, if I had to pick one of these three, it would be the Game Station Plus. And they've obviously made a conscious decision not to take on that gorgeous wood grain uh, previous VCS that came out. Um, the one that you mentioned has now been discontinued because that was a really good looking, it's like a Linux based console, wasn't it? Um, that was a good looking thing. So they've gone, okay, we can't really compete with that. Let's just go with the, um, what what did you call it, Chris? This retro piece of plastic to go on your shelf? <laughs> yes, retro <laughs> piece of plastic. Um, that's not to say it's unattractive. The two buttons on the top look kind of like arcade buttons that they've just plonked on there um, rather than switches. Genuine um, Sinoir parts. I'm not sure if they'll be genuine, but um, yeah, they're, they're, they've no. got some. <laughs> they're on the top. So I guess my takeaway, well, it looks a bit like a VCS Mini, really, a later VCS Mini that you would hook up to your modern TV. Chris mentioned earlier that he likes to hook his VCS up to a CRT, and he said that's where it belongs. Now, obviously, that's a luxury that we don't all have, but I do agree a smaller TV preferably crt for a vcs is where you're going to get the most out of an experience with a vcs if you start putting it on a, a 50 inch television it's all going to get a you know blockier than it already is it's all going to get a bit weird so um, that is my preferred way to play it but i understand we don't all have that luxury um, my my positive takeaway from this story from atari is that it's not crypto it's not gambling it's not hotels so i applaud it for being true to its roots but i can't help but feel atari have a much wider catalog of technology that it could be exploring outside of the vcs it's, it's it seems to be the vcs that gets recycled time after time and um you know where's the celebration of atari's wonderful black and white and color vector based arcade games where's the celebration of the microcomputers or the or the mini jag you know are they just avoiding that because it's difficult and recycling the vcs over and over is is easy or are they just licensing it out to anybody everyone and anyone who wants to slap the atari name on something i don't know but there is more to atari than this and i'd like to see that it's true. I mean, and and this is where I'm really interested in what games are actually going to be on it because it does say obviously 2,600 games. We know that, um, but 7,800 games, as I mentioned, and Atari um, Arcade is also mentioned. But that's all they say is Atari Arcade. What does that mean? Is that arcade ROMs? You know, arcade ports. So maybe we will get some of that. But no, there's there's no Jaguar. There's there's none of that. For me, I mean, looking at the lineup of these three pro um, products, um, the handheld actually kind of makes sense uh, in terms of old games and the resolutions that they're at. They they translate well to a smaller screen because of the, the, the limited pixels. So that can actually, I think, be quite a nice way and obviously a very portable way to revisit and enjoy some of these games rather than finding an old CRT to plug them in so that the CRT covers up, up, up the sins. 
the console though, which is still the most exciting out of these three project uh, products for me. Um, but I, I want bigger, not smaller. I, I, I don't, I don't get the obsession with all the mini stuff. I want it to look like, and and of course they won't for the reasons you said there, Neil. Um, I've just realised what's going in the next set of that's, outtakes. That's another podcast altogether, Chris. <laughs> I, do, I do definitely want. Anyway, so how to recover from that? I don't know. Tablets. Um, <laughs> right. So, but no, I, I don't. I don't like all this. Everything getting uh, like the. There's no digging my way out of this hole. You, <laughs> just, you, just pretend you, it never happened, Chris. It, uh, no, it, it did. It did. But I've, okay, let's go back here. I've got one of the flashbacks. It's on the shelf behind me, and it actually sits uh, underneath my the, the, the large TV in the house. So I actually don't subscribe to the fact that you need a CRT to enjoy some of these games. Before I got my hands on the 2600 Junior and plugged that into the CRT and, and tuned that in with, with the fuzzy image, I enjoyed playing on the flashback. There's nothing wrong with that. But the flashback range, they initially started looking very much like this product that we're seeing. They didn't actually look like an Atari 2600 or a VCS or anything in the previous Atari range. When you look back at the old, very old flashbacks, the one, two, three, four, et cetera, and it wasn't until around the flashback seven, eight, nines that they started to take on the the look of an original 2600, but badly, just plastic tat. And I say that being a proud owner of one, but they are plastic tat visually, and to touch them, they're actually quite horrible. Um and and so I'd just like to see an improvement on that, which they have done with the with the ten and the eleven. They look like a VCS, a Woody, and they've actually got rid of the horrible pill switches and put uh, flick switches in. That actually quite looks quite nice. So I, I would prefer that this look like another Atari console and just be that little bit bigger. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, that's what a I would. A bigger like. Woody. Yeah. A bigger Woody, but no. To conclude, <laughs> a bigger Woody. Let's move on, Dave. You're killing me here. Go on. What do you think? <laughs> I have opinions. I have opinions. So first of all, of course, let you me do. rule out when, two. When of would them. you not, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> um, let, let me rule out the same two you ruled out. The the, the micro arcade thing. No interested. Uh, the handheld. I, I don't. I don't want a handheld. I've no interest in that. But the Game Station Plus looks to be a pretty close equivalent to what we're seeing in terms of the Amiga, C64, etc. minis. That's Atari's version of a mini. It's, it's, it'll be the same kind of impulse buy on Amazon or a Christmas present buy. Um, it's got a lot, it seems to have lots of games in it. Um, I like the design language. I actually prefer the 2600 Junior or 7800 in terms of how they look. I think they look better than the Woody's ones. Uh, and the more I look at it, the more I like the look of it. I might get it, maybe. Um, for me, the Atari is, yeah, that's it. It looks great. Um, for me, the Atari is the, the, the Atari ST, which sadly has been erased from history by Atari. It wasn't in their 50th thing apart from one photo. And I can kind of understand why, because it wasn't a big success in the US. Um, but what I what I do like about Atari is the arcade games. The arcade games are what makes Atari for me, plus a few of the 2600 games and those consoles, those iconic consoles. So I understand why it looks like it does. I understand why it's small because that's what people want. People want a mini. They don't want a great big honking thing. They want a small thing. So I think they're, they're back on solid ground with these. 
Neil might be unimpressed because they're re-releases of other things, which I, I think is true. But they're adding their they're adding the Atari factor to it. Um, I'm much happier with this than them trying to take on the console market and no crypto hotels and all that nonsense. If the other things that I know have existed are no longer available, then it's great that these keep availability out there and those other things don't become super expensive collector's items. So it, it's mm. good to have the availability one way or another. Yeah, that's true. But that's I, I think true. even the flashback stuff was good for the cost. And remember, the flashbacks were coming out. I mean, they're, they're almost retro now. They're, they've been around for a long, long time mm-hmm. before all these minis come out. So... I can forgive them for being cheap plastic crap, if you know what I mean, rather than mm-hmm. the, the minis, which are designed to look great on a shelf. So, yeah, I, I, I'm on board with this. I'm pleased to see it. I might even get the Game Station Plus. Mm. It's definitely the one I'm most tempted by. Funny enough, the, the earlier flashbacks, I see them appearing on Marketplace and some along the alongside the words rare and original Atari. Look. And I look at it and I go, that's a flashback, you idiot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because they are that old. Some of the old ones, they're that old. And people go, oh, I've got an original Atari. I'm going to see what I can get for it on Marketplace. No, you haven't. You've got a remake, but well done you, you know. <laughs> but anyway, what don't we know about these products? Well, we don't know which games, and that is key. And just to add to that, we don't know if they're expandable in any way or if you can sideload your own ROMs. That's important. It is very important. That's why I bought the particular flashback that i bought when i did it was because it's the first one where they added an sd card slot and bless them included instructions in the box how to flash the system so that you can access it and add your own roms well done at games that was fantastic i've got a thousand and one games on that thing including you know halo and, and i've mentioned them before you do know, stuff you like that. do you have do you have stuffed bean elf no, that's on the Pandora's <laughs> box, isn't it? That's a Pac-Man clone. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, that that feature, I can understand why they wouldn't, but I really do hope they they allow us access to to add our own ROMs. Um, and the most important thing we don't know is the price. Now, this has been speculated by Retro Dodo uh, and a few others. No one actually knows at this point. I well, from what I could find anyway. So the micro cab, possibly you're looking at around $60 US. The handheld, around the same. And that's based on the pricings of similar products from my arcade for both of those. Um, there doesn't seem to be any guesses on the price of the GameStation Plus console, which is the one you know we seem to be more interested in. But personally, I'd like to assume that it's no more than, say, and, and this is really sort of putting it up there, $125 US. I think it's going to be more than we're used to paying for a, for a flashback and that game's flashback. That's that's my feeling. I think there's there looks to be a bit more quality to this than those. Um, but well, who knows what this the, thing's actually going to cost? Given that their existing similar looking console is is mm. fifty dollars, I would hope that you're not paying more than about twenty more than that for the for the arcade for for the Atari tax, you know, yeah. for the logo. But then those joysticks are very nice, so. The joystick yeah, is very nice. nice, and you got the you got the I, licensing I, of the games, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it, if, if they add if, it, if they add enough to it to justify the price, then fine. Mm. But it can't, like you said, Chris, it cannot go above many price. Otherwise, people won't buy it. Yeah. But I, I hope that they're saying this is going to be the Atari Mini, and it's going to have the classic Atari. They have their classic Atari arcade games and the classic Atari Twenty Six Hundred. 
some maybe maybe some even some eight bit games in there. Um, the seven series, all the rest. Of it, I hope that's what they're going to say, and, and and then pitch this as the Atari Mini. I mean, the Atari have actually done some really great stuff recently, including the fiftieth anniversary collection, which father christmas didn't bring me um and i'd argue you know that the flashback consoles were okay for, for a low price they've also been doing a collection of really stunning atari 2600 carts for old games and also in some cases some previously unreleased games and they're really nice i'm so tempted to start collecting them but they're not cheap um yeah, yeah, they're fully working cartridges, and if you haven't seen them, do look it up. Um, I think LGR's done some videos on one, as has Retro Recipes, I think. Um, the, the tops, they've all got these molded, plastic, translucent, molded um, game logos for each of the games on along the top of the cart, and when you plug it in, that actually lights up. Little little things like that. Um, and depending on how much you spend, there's, there's collectibles. I think there were limited runs because a lot of them just say sold out now, but they, they really look stunning. But if you add up the price of collecting them all, and the, oh, a lot of companies are good at this, they number them on the boxes, you know. Oh, that's so if dirty. you buy number three, <laughs> you're forever going to be going. But I don't have the rest that side and that side, and I must complete the set. And oh, do it over a thousand dollars if you go down that oh, <laughs> down no. that rabbit hole. But anyway, you know. I really hope these collaborative consoles with my arcade are the start of something good for Atari and for us as collectors and gamers as well. So there's a lot of chatter coming out of ECS and photos are emerging. Actually, even of the actual devices, not just renders that we seem to have been seeing, but photos of the actual devices on the My Arcade booth at ECS. And I think there's some video footage as well floating around. So expect more information very soon. We are sponsored by Pixel Addict Magazine. Pixel Addict kindly sponsor us they are a monthly printed and pdf magazine covering all sorts of retro topics available anywhere in the world not really but probably where you are neil <laughs> i was just going to ask dave have you remembered the pixel addict website this week because last week i did yes, have a chuckle I have. when you were talking about them and <laughs> you couldn't remember the website <laughs> not only have i made sure that i remember it i've actually got it up in front of me www which probably isn't necessary pixel.addict.media pixel.addict.media will take you to the website where you can take out a subscription buy individual issues or even just have a look and see if it's what you want to do um they cover a variety of topics not just games um i do have uh, a digital copy of the new one, which I haven't looked at yet. It's got uh, it's got PlayStation on the front cover, so it's going to be about the PlayStation, so maybe I can learn something because I'm not an expert on it. And I've been finishing off reading the last issue. Uh, I was looking at um, the stuff about Return to Monkey Island, um, unsurprisingly, because we've, we're talking about this week, and also about Jagged Alliance 2. Neil, I understand that you spoke to someone from Pixel Addict Magazine at the weekend. Is that right? I did. I bumped into um, Pixels at Dawn. Um, I hope yeah. you apologise if you bumped into him. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure to meet him, and we had a good chat about um, Amiga Island and everything and how well how well the magazine was doing. And it sounds like it's been a, a great success for them. They really have established it. They've really uh, managed to fine-tune after the first few issues, which is going back a bit now, but fine-tune the whole process of creating the magazine and hitting the pressures of deadlines because they're in shops there is a very definite deadline that they have to hit to make sure that they get it on the shop shelves or that window of opportunity closes. So 
it really is, you know, as what started out as an idea has turned into what sounds like, um, you, you know, as professional an outfit as any of those magazines that we used to read back in the day. Um, Pixel Addict describes itself more as a retro lifestyle magazine, I would say. Uh, so it does cover all systems, but also they're the same guys behind Amiga Addict, which you can find on the same website. So uh, a huge thanks to Pixel Addict for um for sponsoring the show for supporting us and for helping to spread the word about the show do go and check out pixel.addict.media time now for our community question of the week which i enjoyed uh, listening to as a listener last week when i was absent and it's a great question it is what is your favorite bad game and why so uh, dave specifically said don't just pick out bad games because they're bad they've got to be games that are generally considered to be bad that you actually enjoy and why do you enjoy them so hopefully we can get a bit of a backstory with some of these answers so um i will start off the top answer is from colony activist who says i shared this one on one of the rmc daily diaries that we did in 2020 but frontier first encounters was such a game it was the much promoted sequel to frontier published by the soon-to-be defunct game tech who appeared to be so desperate for a cash injection that they released it in a sorry state despite a few official updates it was the buggiest piece of software i've had the displeasure to play with bugs such as flying through planets yeah that's quite a big bug isn't it unable to dock at space stations firing a missile results in hitting your own ship Having a joystick plugged into your computer means you cannot rotate the local sector map. It was pretty unplayable. Later, um, JJFFE was, was released by John Jordan, and that addressed a lot of the bugs that affected the final patch to release in the game. Since then, the game has been further... Um, the game has been a further release based on JJFFE. I'm not quite sure what JJFFE stands for, but for Fi Frontier First Encounters, it's going to be the FFE. JJ John Jordan. That'll be it. John Jordan, Frontier First Encounters. Um, oh, God. Called GIFFE, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hitting me with all the acronyms. Um, oh, GL. Okay. And that opens OpenGL. Right. So be the GLFFE. So you've got the open, you've got all the bugs fixed. You've got the OpenGL renderer added to the game. And then subsequently, Direct3D release, which is called FFE D3D. Okay. So um, he says, yeah, I've I, I put hours into this game, glutton for punishment. So there you go. It, it's obviously taken a lot of years to get that game fixed. Um, does that yeah, does that I, fall, I, um, does that count for your question of the week? Because we've obviously yes, moved on from the original game. It does. Okay, it does. It does, and um, only because I like the game so much, uh, yes, I then. put loads of hours in. In yep. my opinion, Frontier Elite Two was incomplete when it was launched. It it, it worked, but the, there wasn't enough game in there. And mm. Frontier First Encounters added the things that I think they wanted to add to Frontier. That they didn't do. Um, my box copy inside it, I'll put, I'll, I'll give a photo. Duncan has a has a, a disc, a patch disc for the the one point not five, one point not five, one point not six patch, and someone has handwritten on it. This patch is a joke because they were still <laughs> unhappy with it. Um, but I, I think I think it's a great game. It's, it came out rotten and it ended up being saved uh, mm, that way, yeah. a bit like No Man's Sky, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, who wants to take the next answer? I'll go. Um, Salem, okay. I spent countless countless hours playing the Atari ST conversion of Outrun. 
and I still enjoy it today. <laughs> playing this version on an emulator or playing it on MAME feels eerily similar on the first stage, as long as you use a keyboard. The timing for each curve is almost exact. I know it's extremely specific, and ignoring the overall quality of the game, horrible frame rate, lackluster sound effects, but it makes me uh, it makes me think Probe may have gotten a few things right. Besides, I'm grateful to this day for the original soundtrack tape that came with it. Mm. Maybe it's <laughs> ju- it's a case of a game that was good enough when it came out and got bad retrospectively in people's minds. No, it was bad. Um, but I can't get myself to hate it even now. And I think the ST release is extremely similar to the Amiga release, isn't it? They're essentially the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's it such is- a difficult one because it's a game that was so far ahead of its time in the arcade hardware mm. that it had pushing yeah. it. How were you ever going to get a good home port with what we had? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you have to play the home port while thinking about the arcade game. Yeah, and that's where the music cassette comes in. I used yeah, to get yeah, my dad's hi-fi yeah. next to the Amstrad CPC, <laughs> put the cassette in, play the music while playing the game. It's like, oh, it's just like the arcade. <laughs> the, the, our run on, on the Amiga, it, it's, I played it and it wasn't as bad as I remembered it, but it's still bad. But it's a, just a yeah. couple of things. You, if The sprites are terrible. Whoever was given the job of doing that pixel art, I'm sorry if you're still around and I'm insulting your work, but they're they're terrible. And you had the graphic artwork given right there. You know, obviously you'd have the core material available to you. So how hard is it? Well, yeah. What I'm saying, Neil, is I could draw a better Testarossa. (laughs) (laughs) I could freaking do it. And the sound effects as well. Like, what the heck was that screaming? Why wasn't it you? No, well, probably Uh, it wasn't me. But, yeah, it's so close. So I know what this guy's saying. It's To play it is okay, but it looks and sounds terrible. It really does. You just have to consider it a different game. I mean, the perspective is all different for a start on the the Amiga and the Atari version. So, yeah. Sorry, Dave. Do you see the comment after it? Um, remember, there's, a, there's a, a recent STE version of Lotus. So someone is working on an updated STE version of uh, OutRun. So it mm. might end up being a lot more playable as a result. Oh, well, um, I just clicked on it and it, it looks like it's, uh, it requires Blitter and supports the STE palette, that particular version. So um, yes. It can only be an, an improvement over what was put out there, published by US Gold back in the day. Mm. Um, Chris, do you want to go for our third and final answer? Didn't I just do number two? Dave. Yeah. Oh, you did. Dave. Well, get one. Can I get one? Please, can I get one? <laughs> go on. I confuse, it's all the baldies. I confuse you. What? Neil, do you want to get the third one? Um, so our third answer is from Into the Vertical Blank. Everyone seems to hate the Atari 7800 version of Galaga. I've not played it, uh, but I love it and still do. It was the first version for the home that I ever played. And while I can tell it's not as much like the original arcade original as the, the NES, it's still fun and cool all on its own. I also love ST games, which obviously puts me in the minority as all I ever hear is that they are crap. So I'll pick one of the crap ones that I like, Mud Pies. It was one of the absolute first games released for the ST. It's still a little like a bad cross between Food Fight, Berserk, and Robotron, but the sum is way less in its parts. Still, I love it. <laughs> Never played it. Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> one to try. No, I've not played that myself. Um, and, you know, we've got an ST out permanently in the cave for people to play, and 
I find myself playing on it quite often. And there are some great games, you know, just because the same games are available on other platforms, it doesn't make them any less good. Mm. <laughs> um, you mm. know, I often pick up and play Stunt Car Racer on the Atari ST, and it, it's it's fantastic, you know? Great to play. It's great on any other, uh, as great as it is on any other machine. So thank you, everyone. We, we've got a lot more answers than that. Thank you for heading over to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. We also have a chat room on our Discord, discord.gg forward slash RMC Retro is, you know, it's it's my Discord, but we've got a specific This Week in Retro room if that's where you want to go and chat about having listened to the show, uh, you want to chat with other listeners. Um, and we do very much encourage you to head over to the subreddit and submit some news stories to help us put our show together. As always, thank you very much for listening. And uh, I'm, it sounds like I'm signing off. But actually, we have to give question of the week for next week. I'm a true professional. <laughs> What's the question yeah. of the week for next week? Dave. It's already in the sheet there, Neil. Can you read it? Oh, you guys. The, the question on the sheet here. If you were planning a honeymoon, which Amiga event would you go to? <laughs> and that question is only for Lily. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you, guys. Um, no, seriously, our question of the week this week is Dave. What should Atari be celebrating? If it's not the VCS, what should they be celebrating? Nice. Yeah. So um, head over to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you will see the question of the week pinned and you can post your answers in there and elaborate as much as you can. What, what have you decided Atari should celebrate? Why and in what form? Do you want to see minis? Do you want to see full-size recreations like the C64 that we had in previous years? Um what do you want to see? Let us know all your Atari answers. We look forward to reading them. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen or watch. Please like and subscribe if you haven't already done so. Share the show about the more listeners, the more that submit to our subreddit, the better. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. They're waving. <laughs> This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.